Welcome to Unlocking Impact. I'm your host, Sarah Schoenfeld, CEO of the Trade Impact Foundation. In this podcast, we explore issues at the intersection of the global economy, sustainability, and human rights. In today's episode, I speak with Ngozi Okaro. Ngozi is the founder of the Custom Collaborative, which trains, mentors, and advocates for low and no income and immigrant women to build the skills necessary to achieve economic success in the sustainable fashion industry and broader society. Ngozi advocates for a fashion industry that honors both planet and people. Ngozi has been recognized for her work by the AARP, Crane's Notable Women in Business, Conscious Company Media, and Kate Spade, and the New York Women's Foundation. She's also a graduate of Georgetown University Law Center. In our conversation, Ngozi explains why she founded the Custom Collaborative, how this unique model can be applied to the fashion industry at large, and we also discuss what sustainable fashion encompasses and how we can adopt a more inclusive framework. I really enjoyed getting to hear Ngozi's insights on the fashion industry and sustainable fashion moving forward. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Ngozi, thank you so much for joining us on Unlocking Impact. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and excited to talk to you today. Me too. And first of all, congratulations on being honored by the Conscious Fashion Campaign, which is run by the Fashion Impact Fund in collaboration with the United Nations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's a really exciting honor. And I'm so glad that the Conscious Fashion Campaign is spotlighting women who are doing really important work in sustainable fashion. I feel really good to be part of that community. It's really impressive. And how does it feel to be as part of this as being featured on a Times Square billboard during Fashion Week? How does that feel? It feels very odd and exciting all at the same time. (laughs) It's something that like I never thought that I would want. It just like never entered my consciousness. But now with it coming up, it's, it's a really exciting thing. So we will see what happens. Hopefully we'll custom collaborative will be able to have like an outdoor event um, celebrating it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Let's get started because there's so much I want to ask you to start out. Can you just tell us in your own words, what is the custom collaborative? Sure. Custom Collaborative is a nonprofit social enterprise that exists to provide earned income opportunity for no and low income women and immigrant women. We help women develop careers in the sustainable fashion industry. The career could show up as they're a sole proprietor of a business or they are in a worker cooperative or they work for another company, but we provide basically everything that they need to get a start in the industry. We've been around since 2016. And so we're really excited about the impact we have had and the the women that we've been able to serve. And so the women, do they typically go through a training process? Is that most of the work that they undergo at the Custom Collaborative? For sure. There is a 15-week training institute. And so women meet 15 weeks, 30 hours per week, they learn to design, sew, and sell sustainable fashion. As part of their graduation, they have to make a custom garment for a classmate, and they have to present a viable business plan. 
After that, women can then join the Custom Collaborative Business Incubator, where we help them continue to grow their businesses or get placed in jobs. And we also develop cooperatives through a third program fashion that works cooperative development. That's awesome. So I know that you've worked really hard, you know, at the Custom Collaborative, developing the right kind of trainings and lessons and the way to engage with these women to help, you know, provide value. Are there lessons that you're learning or, you know, the methodology that you've developed? Do you see this as something that can be applied at scale or applied by other companies that maybe want, you know, agree with your mission and would like to push it forward? For sure. I think that definitely it can be applied at scale. So right now we've worked, we've graduated from our training program, eight cohorts of women and a cohort is about uh, between eight and 10 people. We could do a lot more with more resources, namely space and money, but the model that we have developed is proven. And I definitely think that it could work throughout the fashion industry and probably other industries because the core of our model is saying that people value have valuable skills, people can learn valuable skills, that people have value, and that their background as a Black or Brown person or an immigrant or someone who follows a different religion besides Christianity that those things do not interfere with people being able to contribute in important ways to companies and really be to be able to contribute to society. I think that if we center human beings and factor human rights, especially in the form of living wages, into our work, that many things are possible. It's just that we have to expand our horizons and look farther than the model that may rely on sweatshops and substandard wages in the U.S. or abroad. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the partnerships that you've had and the relationship, you know, and how you feel that the Custom Collaborative has been perceived within the fashion industry, you know, in terms of the bigger companies? Yes, we've had many partnerships. Some of our partnerships have been with small, smaller and and more mid-sized local companies, and some partnerships have been with larger companies. I think that one of the ways that we've had an impact on industry is to include in the conversation about sustainable fashion, sustainable wages. Uh, a few years ago, sustainable fashion was really about the materials. So was it a certain type of silk that was being used? Was this regenerative cotton? Is this recycled polyester? But one of the things that we have pushed along with a couple of others is how important it is to include living wages and fair working conditions within the conversation because ultimately the push for sustainable fashion is really about the environment. And so as we think about the environment for people and animals, we have to be able to to factor in living wages for people so that people can have 
clean water, clean air, but also be able to afford food and shelter for their families. So that's one way in which I think that we've had um, an outsized impact. Yeah, you know, I saw a quote that you had actually in an article I, I was looking at, and you said that any product made using extractive or underpaid labor is not sustainable, no matter how many certifications the textile has. And that was that that really, you know, that hits me really close. You know, I I totally am on board with everything you've been saying. And I think that we have seen the shift when we talk about sustainability to be, you know, further away from environmental sustainability alone. And and even within environmental sustainability, you know, if you're looking at one fabric, you're picking out one very narrow definition of what is environmental sustainability. There's so many other, you know, moving parts. So, you know, all the work you're doing to promote the concept that sustainability is complex, it's multifaceted, that is that speaks so closely to me. Do you think that the fashion industry at a broader scale is changing or even has the potential to change to embody these kinds of ideas and visions that you have at the Custom Collaborative? Well, I am an optimist and a pragmatist. And I am a hopeful person, and that's grounded in my faith. And understanding that the fashion industry is made up of people, my answer is yes. I do think that there's potential for change. I think that people can change all the time, and people can have their eyes opened, and people can learn new things. And I think that, especially as we traverse the pandemic, there have been changes and there will continue to be changes. I think not just kind of the calling out and calling in of business practices that time and social media has allowed people. I think that has affected many large companies and I think many also midsize and other companies are, have been affected by the pandemic because of some of the supply chain issues, which means then that people are more oriented towards producing locally, towards hearing local consumers. I think that's important because when we think about local production, there's different sets of cost and different opportunities. And one of those opportunities is to be in contact with the factories and the companies that are, are producing goods that are sold under different labels. So I think that it's really important that that's there. And also we're able to know more about the people who create our home and, and, and worn fashions. We can know if they're paid the minimum wage um, and other things because they're in closer proximity to us. And so I guess the last thing I'll say about that is as I look back at um, SB 62, which was a law in California that passed last year that mandated that companies who produce clothing uh, throughout the supply chain, that they're responsible for ensuring that laws were um, adhered to and that minimum wage was paid. I think that New York and other places can do that same thing. So there is less of a remove. 
between companies and people who support these companies. So I'm hopeful, long right. story and, short. And New York has a an act kind of pending, right? A, a proposed act, something similar, I think. New York has something pending, and I'm part of the Pay Up uh, Fashion Campaign Coalition with Custom Collaborative and other organizations. And we're talking to legislators and, and sponsors of that bill to strengthen it. So it is more on par with SB 62. I feel like the California law was very focused on workers and human rights. The Fashion Act as as proposed is more broad and a little bit less deep, but I think that it's great that this proposal has come to light because it lifts people's consciousness and reminds us that in a democracy, the laws that we have are the laws that we want. I just have to say, you know, with everything you just said the past couple of minutes, I think, you know, you and I are so similar in many ways. You know, I too am a pragmatist and I try to be an optimist. (laughs) When I look at the fashion industry, you know, I see widespread issues and long-term issues. They're not going to go away in a minute. But I also feel optimistic because I think that society at large is shifting. I think that we are collectively feeling like, okay, we need to raise our expectations. We need to think about ways that we can do better. We're not there yet, but I I do see all those trends picking up. And I know, you know, friends of mine in, in the sustainable fashion industry will say, yes, it's become much more mainstream to be into sustainable fashion than it used to be. But what will that kind of result in? Will it really result in a in a real impactful change or will it just be, you know, kind of more of the marketing side of, you know, we're sustainable, we're sustainable, but will we start to see those widespread changes? I think so. (laughs) I think so. I hope so. But I don't know. What do you think? I think that we will see change. We have seen lots of greenwashing, which is when Companies pretend to be sustainable, but I think that we will see change as well. And that is because people are smart and people care about the planet and people care about other people and animals who inhabit the planet. And people will continue to push for change in meaningful ways. I also think that as more people learn how fashion is produced, and how much waste there is Mm -hmm. that people will be engaged in other ways and more seriously as well. Yeah. And and some of the really exciting things in sustainable fashion have to do with the concepts of circularity and how we can, you know, reduce our waste and really kind of reuse goods in different ways. And it's, it's all really exciting. I see it as, you know, consumers are pushing all this through their purchases and then companies are reacting. And I know I know we hear about greenwashing a lot, but some of that to me also comes from confusion. There's very little guidance of like here's exactly the right way to do sustainability. There's not really one answer and, and that that makes it difficult even if you have the best intention. So, I think we're at a, a complicated moment, but um and those legislations that you're talking about, you know, hopefully will will help give a little bit more clarity. I know there's other 
there's a lot going on in terms of the SEC in the U.S. or, you know, there's a lot of sustainability standards coming out. So hopefully we'll get more guidance. But I do think I think the intention is there. I do think so. As a consumer, as a consumer, and if you're listening and you're feeling really inspired, how can we be more cognizant as consumers about who we are purchasing from and who is doing the actual labor behind, you know, the goods that we're, we're purchasing? That's a great question. It's hard for me right now to, to talk about purchasing. I have been moving around some clothes in my closet and I was thinking, okay, well, there's, there's probably too many. There's some I can get rid of. And unfortunately there were very few that I could get rid of. And I get this email every day about, oh, here are the brands that you love that are on sale. And I haven't bought anything from them. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, right. And I'm just like, how can I buy anything? And maybe I just need to cut this off. So like, like besides like some undergarments, like what do I really need to buy right now? So I think that one thing, which is a way of being sustainable is to really pause and, and count for 30 seconds before we decide if we're going to buy this thing. And if we decide it's going to bring us joy and, or we need it, then purchase it. But in terms of moving forward to actually purchasing something, I think that one thing that we're all able to do is really investigate quickly what type of brand is this. So I have uh, a few favorite brands and I can go to their website or to their Instagram and see what they're doing, see what other people have said about these brands and do some learning that way because there's so much information available. And I also think that even buying from local brands, from small brands, um, not to be exclusive or exclusionary, but women-owned brands, those are really good ways also to, to think about and to kind of filter what we buy. I mean, I think also it's important to buy things, again, that you love and that are going to be quality and that will last and that you'll get a lot of wears out. So that's, an, that's another way of being sustainable. Yeah. If we could just take a little bit of a step back into kind of the macro point of view and we're thinking about, you know, all these lessons that you have learned at the Custom Collaborative. And if I'm thinking of a multinational company, right, and maybe they can have some local production um, close to the market of consumption, but they're producing, you know, a very large number of units and the way their supply chain is set up is they have the labor being done, not in the U S not in Europe, but somewhere that's perhaps a little bit less regulated. And we don't have that same trust in the labor standards vis-a-vis the government. Right. So the company now has to take on that responsibility of going in and making sure that the factory, that the workers are being treated fairly what do you hope to see if you know if, if you're speaking to someone who runs the supply chain in a very large fashion industry brand what would you hope that they're focused on right now 
in terms of making sure that the human rights, the labor standards are where you want it to be? Companies send their employees overseas a lot during the production process to sometimes to inspect the garments, sometimes to look at the dye lot. So we we do know that companies have people going back and forth to factories overseas. So it seems it's not a stretch to say, okay, while those people are there looking at the, the physical product, that those people or another team member can go and inspect the factories and talk to the other businesses within the supply chain. That seems to me to be very easy. So I think that that's an important step. And I would also say that it's very easy to look at the environmental impacts when we're overseas. I was several years ago at a textile factory. And when I went outside of it, I saw like this stream that was red because of the dye, right? So it's not like this information is hidden. And certainly a multinational, multi-billion dollar company can find out information and act on it. And so I think it's, again, that's something that we can aspire to and we can institute and we could do it as as early as, as 2023. We could mandate that if we want to. Right. If, if there's a will, there's a way. Right. <laughs> Any closing thoughts from you on how we can all work together to solve some of these big sustainability issues in the fashion industry affecting both people and planet? Absolutely. I think that it's really important to include as many people as possible at the table. My philosophy is that the first people at the table should be the people who are most affected. So whether that's garment workers, whether that's people who live in areas where the forests have been cut to make way for livestock, whoever it is, but the people who are most affected need to be at the center of the table. And then we can have discussions, but we need to know what people need and we need to get a broad diversity of perspectives. One thing that Custom Collaborative is working on right now is developing a sustainability fellowship program so that corporate sustainability departments are more inclusive ideas and perspectives. And that means in a way desegregating them, right? And so we're creating a pipeline for Black and Brown people to enter in corporate sustainability departments by creating this fellowship. So again, like these are people who are the most proximate to the harm and have solutions that we haven't heard or or solutions that are informed by their proximity to the issue. Yeah. And I think that we've seen time and time again, that diversity is so important to finding the right solutions. And, you know, an echo chambers is never good, right? You need to have different individuals with different backgrounds 
and different thoughts and be comfortable to give those thoughts. And I think that's, that's awesome. Um, I love that fellowship. So I'm going to wrap up now, shift gears a little bit with a personal question for you outside of your day to day. What is something that you are currently working on learning or further, further developing for yourself? Really hard question. I am, I guess, currently working on two things, one of which is remembering how much joy I get from reading because then I'm able to like inhabit another world. Uh, When I was in law school, there was way too much to read and I stopped reading. Uh Uh-huh, I hear that. Yeah. (laughs) For a while, it's like I couldn't read any books And so I was just reading magazines and that was probably last year for about two or three years after I graduated law school. And now I'm back on books. I'm part of a great book club. And I actually started reading for the third time just yesterday, Stacey Abrams novel, When Justice Sleeps. And it's just so great to be transported into a different place. And I would say the other thing that I'm doing that I'm not enjoying as much, but I'm doing it because I know the results will be enjoyable is incorporating more physical activity into my life. Because during the pandemic, I've kind of fallen off and there are many days that I don't leave the house. And so I just need to to get myself going again. That's great. That's great. Very inspirational. (laughs) But really, this has been a very inspirational discussion. I've so enjoyed talking to you about all these different issues and hearing more about your work. Um, Thank you so much, Ngozi, for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate the opportunity. And I'm so grateful to you for hosting this podcast and inviting me on. So thanks so much. Absolutely. I really enjoyed hearing how Ngozi views herself as a optimist and a pragmatist because I do try to be those things and, you know, sometimes the optimist side can be difficult, but I think it's really important. So when you leave this episode, I hope you take away two big pieces. First of all, the idea of including living wages as an important part of sustainable fashion and trying to see the impact of your purchases on both people, and planet. Second, I hope you keep in mind the importance of knowing more about the things that we have in our homes, the things that we wear. This includes thinking about who is making our products and under what conditions. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any episodes and If you have a minute to rate and review the show, we really do appreciate that support. Thanks a lot.